Welcome to the Terry and Jesse show. I'm a one-man car today. My partner's out there doing some apostolic work. The uh, goal of the Terry and Jesse show is to help people fall in love with God, save souls, and slay error. This is high-energy Catholic radio. This is the holy hour of power. Uh, both of us, we call ourselves two Catholics with a PhD in common sense. And every time we uh, get behind this microphone, we are reporting for duty to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Queen Mother. Hey, just want to remind you that uh, we're in the octave of Christmas, so Christmas greetings. Did you know that the 12 days of Christmas traditionally starts on Christmas Day, yes, December 25th? At Christ's birth, as the angels sung and the shepherds, they share their, their wondering awe at looking at the Christ child, we realize that the joy of this event is far too great for a single day as Catholics and hopefully, we've made room in our hearts throughout the Advent season to receive the Savior of the world over the 12 days of Christmas leading up to Epiphany. And we, re we rejoice all the more in the reality of his birth in our lives. Today's also the, uh, the Feast of the Holy Family of Nazareth. Pope St. John Paul II, he said about the Feast of the Holy Family of Nazareth, he said, Dear brothers and sisters, let us look to the Holy Family of Nazareth as an example for all Christians and human families. Today, on the Feast of the Holy Family, the Church honors Jesus, the Blessed Mother, and St. Joseph as the holiest of families and therefore a model for all Christian families. They were holy because they placed God at the center of their family life. And because the Holy Family, because they loved and sacrificed for one another, they radiated the love of Christ to others in the redemptive mission of the Word incarnate, which lived with them. <clears throat> the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we love you. Save souls. Jesus, live in our hearts forever. <clears throat> hey, let me share with you uh, some of the readings from today at Holy Mass. <clears throat> today, at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, which is Friday the feast. The Feast of the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. <clears throat> what can we say about the Holy Family? The Feast of the Holy Family inspires us to have confidence that God himself takes an interest in the generation of human life, and he blesses the union of man and woman. In fact, the family, the family is the original cell of societal life, of social life. It's the natural society in which a husband and wife are called to give themselves in love and in the gift of life. The family is a community in which from childhood, one can learn moral values, begin to honor God, and make good use of freedom. As it says in the Catechism, paragraph 2207. And the grace of the incarnate word sanctifies and protects family life, making family life a true path to holiness. The family of Nazareth is holy because it was centered on Christ. Can you imagine St. Joseph and the Blessed Virgin Mary? For 30 years, they did many, many holy hours. Why? They were in the presence of God incarnate for 30 years as they lived in Nazareth. <clears throat> Let me share some of the readings from today at Holy Mass that are very, very powerful. The, the a reading from... The letter of St. Paul to the Colossians, chapter 3, the first reading. Oh, by the way, you like my hat? I do. 
getting ready for the New Year's. By the way, the New Year's as Catholics, remember, we, we know that January 1st, 2023, we know that that's the, that's the, the proper date because it's referenced from the birth of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The birth of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is so powerful, it literally split human history in half. B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini. So Jesus Christ is the reference, the reference point, his birth, to measure human history, to, to, give, to put human history in a timeline. The, the point of demarcation, the reference point, is the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, January 1st, 2023, we only know that date because it's referenced from the birth of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And some other, something else that's very important, because there's two days in reference to Jesus that we celebrate the octave. We celebrate the octave of Jesus for during the Christmas season. Eight days of a powerful celebration, just trying to take everything in. What does that mean that God became a man? We're trying to take all that in in eight days. We can't take it in in one day. And so the church extends it for eight days. Also, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is another octave, another eight-day celebration. The fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Nobody rises from the dead. People just don't do that unless it's an act of God or God himself. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is another eight-day celebration as well. That's such a, a magnanimous event in human history that it takes us eight days to take it all in. Uh, but in today's first reading, Colossians chapter three, verse 12 and following the scripture says, brothers and sisters put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If one has a grievance against another, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must, so you must also do. And over all these things put on love. That is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of Christ control your hearts. I'm going to say that again. Let the peace of Christ control your hearts. I'm going to say that again. Let the peace of Christ control your hearts. The peace into which you were, you were also called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. As in all wisdom you teach and admonish one another. Singing psalms. Hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Then it says, Wives, be subordinate to your husbands as is proper in the Lord. The word subordinate in Greek is the Greek word hupotasso, which is a military term, which basically means that wives rank under. The husband is the head. He's the general because the church is a military. The family is a military unit because the family is part of the church militant. And the word subordinate, hupotasso in Greek, means that the wife is under the mission of the husband. Well, what's the mission of the husband as the head of the house? To get the family to heaven, to make the family holy. And so the wife's mission under the husband is to help the husband get the family to heaven and make the family holy in the interim. It says, husbands, love your wives. The word is agape, which means self-sacrificing love, total self-donation. It says, and avoid any bitterness towards them. Children, obey your parents in everything, 
for this is pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children so they may not become discouraged. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Then the responsorial psalm is, Blessed are those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. For you shall eat the fruit of your handiwork. Blessed shall you be and be favored. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your, in the recesses of your home. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. And today's gospel, Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and following. When the Magi, the three wise men from the east, had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. The tradition tells us it's the angel Gabriel. Notice appeared to St. Joseph in a dream. What does that mean? Angels can speak to us in dreams. Rise, take the child and his mother, that's baby Jesus and Mother Mary, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. Notice, this is part of the, the job of a husband. This is part of the office of a husband as being the head of the house. He has to protect his wife and his children. And we see it right here. That's part of the office, part of the duties of a husband. The scripture says, <clears throat> uh, Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Hmm, Herod, King Herod, an apostate Jew. Well, we have a lot of Herods. Any leader that's pro-abortion like Biden, he's a Herod. He's a modern day King Herod. Uh, the Bible says, Joseph rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. He stayed there until the death of Herod, that what the Lord has said through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Very interesting. Remember, Egypt held the Jews captive for 430 years. And it's, the irony is now Egypt, who held the children of Israel captive, now Egypt is a safe space, a safe haven, a sanctuary for the Son of God. The Bible says when Herod had died, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. So again, this is the second time the angel appears to Joseph. This is how in tune Joseph was to God. Angels would just appear to him and talk to him, communicate God's message. Remember, an angel is a messenger of God. So God is communicating to St. Joseph specifically, specifically through that angel, who the tradition tells us is Gabriel. <clears throat> the angel told Joseph in Egypt and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are, are dead. So the angel says it's safe to go back to your home now. This is why it's important for us to do the guardian angel prayer in the morning and in the evening and throughout the day. When you sense, you know, you're driving a car, you get in a plane. Do the guardian angel prayer in the morning and when you go to bed in the evening. You see right here in the Bible, God speaks to us through angels. But too many of us, our angels are unemployed because, again, uh, we don't call upon our angel. And so as Catholics, one of the New Year's resolutions, start doing the guardian angel prayer every morning. Hard to drive. You're listening to Terry and Jesse show. Hey, I'm going to be talking about the occult meaning of obelisks and the people who worship them. Yeah. And why does the Vatican have obelisk in Washington? We'll talk about that. So what is an obelisk? A lot of people 
wonder, they've seen them in, you know, civilized society, but there is an occult meaning to some of these obelisks and especially the people that worship them. I believe that knowing that obelisks and ley lines working together as a power grid is a strong foothold in the understanding of how ancient pagan religions operated and still operate today through the Luciferian stronghold. And this stronghold is trying to separate us from God. These monuments are still being erected today. And we can use the construction and dedication to such pagan monuments as a proven timeline that these events have taken place and are still being carried through to current times. In ancient days, through these obelisks, ancient demonic gods were being worshipped. The question is, is it possible that ancient demonic gods are being worshipped today through these obelisks? <clears throat> there, are, there are several cities that have obelisks around the world. You know, City of London, for example, District of Columbia, the Vatican. <clears throat> There's an article or there's a, there's a blog and the blog is called Malum in Say, Malum in Say. And this blog is essentially exposing these obelisks around the world and the history of these obelisks. <clears throat> the author of this article says the word obelisk is defined as ball's shaft. Baal, he's a demon in the Old Testament, who we rebuke, reject, and renounce in Jesus' name. Go to the foot of the cross that he may do with you as he wills. So the word obelisk is defined as Baal's shaft and is phallic in design. Baal worship was the beginning of all paganism. Obelisks are used for sundials and for, for the tallying of the winter and summer solstice. The spirit of the sun god was supposed to enter the stones at certain periods, and on these occasions, human sacrifices were offered, much like the Aztecs, by the way. <clears throat> There's a book, it's called Our Phallic Heritage by Charles Berger. And in that book, <clears throat> the author states, quote, all pillars or columns originally had a phallic significance and were therefore considered sacred. Pan, the goat god, who we reject, rebuke, and renounce in Jesus' name, go to the foot of the cross. Pan, the goat god, was the god of sensuality. He was often represented as an obelisk. You also have the Roman author Pliny. He wrote about this city of On, where kings entered into a kind of rivalry in forming elongated blocks of stone known as obelisks and consecrated them to the divinity of the sun. An obelisk looks like a long shaft, a long tower. And again, uh, we, there, we have obelisks all over the world. These are This is the pagan architecture, which according to many historians, it's, it's supposed to be the shaft of the demon god Baal. These, uh, these are all over the world. But you can also see that there's the power of Freemasonry that's involved in all this as well. 
The power of Freemasonry is all too evident when we see that they have erected obelisks in London, towering over the White House and the Washington Monument, erected in honor of George Washington, who may have been a man of goodwill, but he was a Freemason. And uh, the Freemasons, this occult organization known as Freemasonry, it tightly grips control and reigns supreme over the government of the United States and our highest courts. In other words, it's been infiltrated at the highest levels by high-ranking Freemasons. In this article that I have here, you can go to virginmostpowerful.org or my website, jesseromero.com, and you can click on this article that I'm, referenced, I'm referencing. The article is called, <clears throat> uh, is called Exposing Evil in a Civilized Society, The Occult Meaning of Obelisks and the People Who Worship Them. And it's a blog written by Melum and Say. That's, that's a pseudonym of the author. They have a chart here that shows the, the structure of Freemasonry. And you'll see in this chart put out by the Freemasons showing the structure of Freemasonry, you'll see all the pagan symbolism in this chart and you'll see that the Freemasons are big on using obelisks. Even the White House is drenched in pagan symbolism. Many of our presidents were Freemasons. They may have been men of goodwill, and they may have not been steeped in Freemasonry, but nonetheless, many of them were Freemasons. They maybe just did it as being part of a good old boys club, but nonetheless, they were still part of Freemasonry. So you'll see a lot of Freemasonic symbolism even in Washington, D.C., there's not one Christian symbol to be found in Washington, D.C., so far as I know. Obelisks are usually placed in front of fountains or pools, so the reflection imitates the occult saying of, as above, so below. In other words, what happens on the level of reality also happens on another level, the spiritual realm. And that's essentially what an obelisk is trying to indicate. What happens below, what happens above, happens below. As above, so below. So what's interesting is the placement of these megalithic monuments as obelisks and other great things, such as the pyramids, Stonehenge, Solomon's Temple, <clears throat> even Tesla's labs, they're all on intersecting ley lines, so it's no surprise that all three of the globalists Trinity of control obelisks here on planet Earth are placed on important sectors of our Earth's energy grid. By the way, it's documented that Alexander the Great was guided by Aristotle to take control back of these major intersections from evil forces. There's also a, a, a map on this website that shows the ley line grid, and it shows you the way all the obelisks in the world are connected. In October of 2018, a temporary monument called the Arch of Baal, demon god who we reject, rebuke, and renounce in Jesus' name, was placed in Washington, D.C. This seems, this seems questionable to me as Baal was the, was the god of child sacrifice. So why of all things and places was this structure placed there in Washington, D.C.? Who is still paying homage to such a deity? We're being initiated without our knowledge and forced to carry out ritualistic behavior 
in the form of politics and holiday customs. <clears throat> Since this demon monument to this demon god Baal, who we reject, rebuke, and renounce in Jesus' name, this arch of Baal was placed in Washington, D.C. And guess what? What's interesting? Right now we have the most pro-abortion president that we've had in the history of our country. You can see a picture of the Arch of Baal right in front of the White House. The article says we've entered a more modern era in the timeline of man and a huge statue of Baal, who we reject, rebuke, and renounce in Jesus' name, may not be offered, may not be offered children along with loud drums to drown out the screams. But I believe these enemies are carrying out sacrifices in a different form. I was horrified to learn that some of our products, including food, have flavors or scents made from fetuses. There is obviously Planned Parenthood dynamic of aborted babies and the actualized rituals that can go along with these through the right legal papers. Abortion rights activists known as the Satanic Temple announced in December 2020 they've posted billboards in Texas and Florida to promote what they call their religious abortion ritual. You can see the billboard on this website. It says, it's, there's, there's a picture of a demon god. I won't, I won't describe it. And it says, the billboard says, put out by the temple of Satan. It says, the satanic temple just announced the religious abortion ritual, which is designed to protect access to the medical procedures using existing religious liberty. <clears throat> You'll also find the ancient Babylonian Egyptian gods that are being worshipped to this day required sacrifice on certain days. Would this have changed? Did a demonic entity have a change of heart? So it would actually be more offshoot if a big change in an ancient religion happened than to shrug off the possibility that sacrifices still happen. In fact, the author says, as I've stated above about alternatives to sacrificing, another outlet could come in the form of false flags. Sacrifice is often a burnt offering is it a coincidence that both Waco and Oklahoma bombings happened on the very same day, which happens to fall on an occultic holiday that requires a burnt sacrifice? <clears throat> the author writes, I've gone over a religious and cultural aspect of obelisks. Now for another viewpoint on such things. Brian Forster, an author holding a degree in science who dedicates so much of his time learning about and traveling to ancient structures, states that obelisks, aren't just statues to be written to be written on or to glorify a pharaoh or a ruler, but was in fact designed to be tuned in to a certain frequency because it was part of an ancient system of energy transmission. Possibly pyramids were the energy generators based on the water traveling in tunnels beneath the structure, causing the pyramid itself to resonate. Then you see that there's a picture of a water tunnel found underneath a pyramid. It's uh, <clears throat> this is extremely uh, interesting. And let me go to another article now about the obelisk written from a Catholic perspective, St. Peter's Basilica Info. The obelisk from Egypt was brought to Rome by Emperor Caligula in 37 AD. It originally stood in, 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 in his circus on a spot to the south of the basilica, close to the present sacristy. Pope Sixtus V had... Dominico move it in 1586 to the center of St. Peter's Square. It's also a sundial 
it shadows it shadows Mark Noon over the signs of the zodiac in which marble discs in the paving of the square. The obelisk rests upon four couchant lions, each with two bodies whose tails intertwine. Obelisk comes from the word which means in the shape of a spear. For pagans, the obelisk was a solar symbol that represented a vital flow between heaven and earth, a way of communicating to the divine. As a pagan monument in the Christians in the Christian square, it's a symbol of humanity reaching out to Christ. Because everybody ultimately re doesn't realize that that's what they're looking for is truth. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. I'm talking about the history of obelisks and sharing where they come from and for what purpose are they used. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. We'll keep talking about obelisks and I'll show you why they've been decommissioned. The ones over in Rome. We'll be right back. Chris Smith, Chris Stockton. My name's Jesse Romero. As you can see, I'm getting ready for the uh, for New Year's Day. It's a celebration for Catholics because for us as Catholics, we know that January 1st is 2023 years for the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that makes life worth living. Yep, the birth, the life, the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ makes life worth living, and it makes death conquerable. You could look at death in the face like King David and St. Paul and say, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We're talking about obelisks, these, these spheres, these buildings that are spherical, that are built by pagans to the sky. Uh, on the Vatican's website, it says, For pagans, the, op the obelisk was a solar symbol that represented a vital flow between earth and heaven, a way of communicating to the divine. As the pagan monument in the, in the greatest Christian square an obelisk is a symbol of humanity reaching out to Christ. Originally, the obelisk was inscribed to uh, the divine Caesar Augustus, yeah, right, or to the divine Tiberius, Emperor Tiberius. But now the obelisk is dedicated to the Holy Cross because on the obelisk, the church has decommissioned any demonic power that it may have by putting this, these, these exorcism prayers on it. It says, Christus vincit, Christus reina, Christus imperat. Christ is victor, Christ reigns, Christ commands. And also the obelisk in Rome, it's topped by a bronze cross containing a fragment of the true cross. In other words, uh, these exorcism prayers have decommissioned any diabolic uh any, any diabolic curse that may be connected to this obelisk that some historians say is the shaft of Baal. Uh, things can be decommissioned and repurposed by the prayers of the church, especially the prayers of exorcism. So this large, this large pink granite obelisk can be admired in the center of St. Peter's Square. It was hewn from a single block and stands 25.31 meters high on a base of 8.25 meters wide. The, the obelisk comes from Heliopolis, Egypt, where it was built by Pharaoh 
1835 BC in, in honor of the sun. It was bought, brought to Rome in 37 BC by the emperor Caligula and erected in the circus that he built. Here, it was silent witness. It was, here it was the silent witness of the martyrdom of St. Peter and many other Christians. And so in 1586, Pope Sixtus V had moved the obelisk, moved it to the center of St. Peter's Square. This operation, which required hundreds of workmen, was directed by Domenico Fontana with the help of his brother, Giovanni. And it took four months. It was erected on September 10th, 1586, by 900 men using 440 horses and 44 winches. And again, on the top of the obelisk, in the place of the golden urn, said to contain the ashes of Caesar, was placed a bronze emblem of Pope Sixtus containing a relic of the true cross. And at the base of the obelisk are the four bronze lions supported by a high pedestal. <clears throat> also, there's inscriptions on the north and south sides of the base of the obelisk that have texts written by Cardinal Silvio Antonini as the moving of the obelisk and the east and the west sides have exorcistic formulas. I know some of the enemies of our uh, of our church will say, oh, those Catholics have these pagan ob obelisks in Rome. Well, Washington, D.C. has pagan obelisks as well. Uh, and so does London and many other places. But in the Catholic Church, we've baptized these obelisks. What do I mean by that? Yes, they, these, these obelisks were made by pagans. And yes, the, it, it, we see that the Caesars in Rome, especially Nero, Caligula, and these others, these henchmen killed a lot of people in St. Peter's Square, specifically in the Colosseum and in Nero's Circus. Guess what? Nero, Caligula, they've all gone to their <clears throat> eternal reward. Uh, and they and it was Caligula, the emperor, that brought the, the these Egyptian obelisks into St. Peter's Square. They stand there now as a testament that paganism did not triumph in Rome. What triumphed in Rome? Catholic Christianity. And it was the blood of the martyrs, which is a seed of the church. And this obelisk now, now, it's not a testament to paganism. It's not a hymn of triumph. It's a hymn that the martyr's blood has overcome that pagan city of Rome, and now it's the city, it's Christendom. This is why on the obelisk, you have, right on the obelisk, imprinted, it says, Christ, Christus vinci, Christus reinat, Christus imperat, which is Christ is conquering, Christ is reigning, Christ rules over all. In other words, this obelisk, which once was a testament to paganism, and to these pagan deities, today now, it's a testament to the conquering Christ and the martyrs of the early church. In fact, there's a tradition that tells us that St. Anthony composed a prayer of exorcism. I do this prayer every day. I'm, I'm in a hotel. That's what I did when I walked into the hotel. I take the, the, the St. Benedict's medal, and I say it, Behold the cross of the Lord! Be gone, all you evil spirits. The line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered. Alleluia, alleluia. That's a minor exorcism prayer given to us by St. Anthony the Great back in the Middle Ages. And you pray that prayer 
uh, again with with the with the with the cross of Saint Benedict. I I'm in a hotel for a couple of days, so when I walked into the hotel last night, every night I'll say that prayer. Well, here's in, what's interesting: that minor exorcism prayer. The Franciscan Pope Sixtus V had that exorcism prayer engraved onto the base of the obelisk that's erected in St. Peter's Square. So that short prayer, that small exorcism, is actually on the obelisk that was brought in by Emperor Caligula to Rome in 37 AD. And also, I'll mention again, what's on the obelisk? Here's what it says. It's imprinted on the obelisk. It says, Christ conquers, Christ reigns, Christ commands. May he defend his people from all evil. So Pope Sixtus V, he had these exorcism words engraved on this obelisk, which stands in the center of St. Peter's Square in Rome. These magnificent words are in the present tense and not in the past tense to indicate that Christ's triumph is always actual. And that it, that's it's brought about by how by the you in the Eucharist and by the Eucharist. So the obelisk for us as Catholics, it doesn't signify pagan worship, although it undoubtedly has pagan origins. Okay, they came from Egypt. These obelisks, and again, the tradition is is this was the demon god Baal, his shaft, his member. It's it's a phallic it's a phallic design. Because these pagans worshipped, they, they just worshipped sexual perversion. And so that's why they all their buildings were always phallic symbols. But now that this, uh, this uh, obelisk has been repurposed, the Catholic Church has decommissioned any, any power of the demon that may be attached to the obelisk by these exorcism prayers and by the prayers of these popes in ancient times. Where St. Peter's now stands, once stood a Roman circus erected by the infamous Roman Emperor Caligula. And on that Roman circus, tens of thousands of Catholic Christians were martyred. And Emperor Caligula, he was wicked, no doubt. He placed this Egyptian obelisk in the center of Rome as a symbol of an ancient Egyptian religion in the circus. And many Christians were executed in Nero Circus, which is today St. Peter's Square, particularly during the reign of Emperor Nero. And so the Catholic Christians for 300 years that were executed in Nero Circus in what is now St. Peter's Square, in their dying moments, they would have seen this obelisk as they look upward. And guess what? Catholic tradition holds that Peter was one of those martyrs who died inside Nero Circus in St. Peter's Square. And this is why, in, in homage to these early Christian martyrs against whom, who's, who's, whom death could not ultimately prevail, like Jesus told Lazarus in John 11, 25, Lazarus, get up. The church has erected St. Peter's Basilica on the location of the former Nero Circus and placed this Egyptian obelisk as a reminder of the victory of both the Catholic Church in general and early Catholic Christians in particular over pagan Rome and even over pagan Egypt. There's also further evidence 
refuting the charge of pagan worship by the Catholic Church and having this obelisk in St. Peter's Square. Remember, in pagan times, a golden ball symbolizing worship of the sun, it was on top of the Egyptian obelisk. However, the church long, long ago replaced that golden ball with a cross in which is contained a relic of the true cross, which ironically is a fulfillment of Jeremiah chapter 43, verse 13, where Jeremiah says, what do we do with obelisks? He says this, quote, he shall smash the obelisks at the temple of the sun in the land of Egypt and destroy with fire the temples of the Egyptian gods, close quote. Because there's a relic of the true cross on top of this obelisk, and there's exorcism prayers that are affixed to this Egyptian obelisk. It's been decommissioned from any evil attached to it and has now been repurposed as a monument of victory to Jesus Christ over the pagan forces of Rome and over the for pagan forces of Egypt. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show. I'm going to move on to another topic. We're going to look at the heroes and zeros of 2022. Yeah, the heroes and the zeros of 2022. Probably not going to surprise you what I'm going to share with you, but uh, we'll be right back. Don't miss the heroes and zeros of 2022. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Heroes and zeros, you voted, and so did 70,000 other people. So who has crowned the Catholic Vote Hero of the Year, and who has named the Catholic vote zero of the year. You're probably not going to be surprised with the results. So the people have spoken. So Catholic vote announces the hero and the zero of the year for 2022. The votes have been counted. And thank you for everyone who participated in the 2022 hero and zero tournament. Competition was fierce for the top slots. And we think that you'll agree that every one of our heroes and zeros deserve the prize. But in the end, there can only be one winner. So, who's the hero of the year? The Hauk family. Yes, Mark Hauk and his family. On September 23rd, 2022, the Hauk family awoke to a nightmare. At least 20 FBI agents sent by Brandon entered their home with weapons drawn and handcuffed Mark in front of his wife and seven children. He later pleaded not guilty to felony charges of violating the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances, the FACE Act, when he shoved a patient escort who was heckling his young son outside of a Philadelphia Planned Parenthood clinic nearly a year before the dramatic arrest. The family deserves recognition, not simply because they've suffered a grievous and deeply traumatic injustice. They should also be honored for their dedication to living the Catholic faith, praying and working for mothers and their unborn children, and, and Mark Houck for running the apostolate, the king's men. 
So we here at Catholic Vote, and hey, even at vmpr.org, we salute the Hauk family. May your tribe increase. God bless you, Mark Hauk and family. Have a happy and a holy New Year's, and have a, a happy holy octave of Christmas. Now, let's go to the bottom of the barrel. And we really have to scrape the bottom of the barrel for this one. Who's the zero of the year? President Joseph Brandon Biden. Yep. The second Catholic president is the most anti-Catholic leader in American history and has deep and has deployed the Department of Justice and FBI to promote trans surgeries for children, arrest pro-life activists, and drag religious freedom advocates through courts. We pray for all our 2022 zeros and hope for their conversion that by God's grace they may become future heroes of the faith because with God all things are possible. Let me pray one Hail Mary for the Hauk family, for Mark Hauk and family, and a Hail Mary for the conversion of Joe Biden and his family. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for the Hauk family and the Biden family, especially for their conversion. Now and at the hour of their death, amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hey, with God, all things are possible. People made comments about the, the heroes and zeros of 2022. Somebody posted, I still would have voted for Father James Martin as zero of the year because he's ordained and in a teaching position in the Catholic Church. Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and every Catholic who voted for the Disrespect for Marriage Act are all zeros. But as bad as they are, they did, they did not go through seminary to, to become a teaching authority of the church. As the Bible says, to whom much has been given, much will be required. Uh, this person says, defrock James Martin. Another person who posted said, your point is quite valid. The only thing I will say is that the president is much more in the limelight and leads even more people into scandal. Many people have not heard of or know who, who Father Martin is. Somebody else posted, that is true, but Martin's per responsibility as a Catholic priest is more than Biden's as a secular politician. Another post, I vote for James Martin for that reason for the zero of the year. How can we expect anything from the world when our ch church continues to spiral downward? Good point. Another post says, thing is, the president of the United States is far more powerful and can change far more than a mere parish priest. That said, Father Martin is a disgusting individual. Another post to catholicvote.org is, and I agree with this one, by the way, Biden is the worst president of my lifetime. Here, here. My wife would agree the same. I hear my wife in the background saying, here, here. He's a complete fraud, liar, and evil minion of Satan. He's no Catholic. I agree with that post. It was by Jane. Thank you, Jane. Somebody else posted, I'm 76, and I would not just say that Biden's the worst of my lifetime, but my father's lifetime, my, my great my grandfather's lifetime, my great-grandfather and, and great-great-grandfather's lifetime. Take it back to the year 1793. Yes, I agree with that one. That was another post. Abs here's another post. Absolutely agree. My parents were both Democrats, and so was I until Obama. 
First time I ever wrote, voted Republican. My parents are spinning in their graves with this horrible party as it is now. Not my parents' party. Everything they do is anti-American, anti-Christian, and, and insanity with the transgenderism, CRT, and other things that, are for, that they are forcing in public schools. Here's another post. I am 90. <clears throat> Only Democrat I voted for was Kennedy. I had to be 21 to vote back then. This is the worst administration I can recall. Our founding fathers are spinning in their graves. I am also a Catholic and mother of nine and one angel. God bless you. Here's another post. And if you remember, Gene, many in the country were worried that if Kennedy was elected, he would try to run the country based on the Catholic religion instead of on the Constitution. <laughs> they were afraid of you. Uh, here's another post. Uh, King George III, Caligula. I could run this list far into the into the BC or BCE or BCE as Joe would say. So yeah, uh, one more. Here, one more. I'll read one more post. It says, uh, <clears throat> "I would rank Biden as the biggest liar, but he's a war criminal." So there's that. <clears throat> so that was the heroes and zeros for Catholic vote. About seventy thousand people voted. But uh, as we're winding down to the program, let me land the plane here. It's hard to believe, but but another year has come and gone. And like most people, you're probably planning to make a few resolutions in the new year. <clears throat> you're probably saying, you know what? I'll start a fitness routine. I'll change my eating habits. I'll lose some weight. I'll get a better night's sleep. Those are all great. That's all great. And it's perfectly fine to make these New Year's resolutions and we know they're, they're hard to keep, but either way, the best New Year's resolution or the best firm purpose of amendment is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ and live in a state of grace. Love God, save souls, slay error, show your gratitude for friends and family. There's no better way to do it than by praying for them, loving them, being kind to them, and evangelizing them. And be another Christ to them. Yes, be another Christ to them. Me and my wife are going to be going to a funeral in a few hours of wake. There are many people there that don't know Jesus. We're going to do our best to be Christ to them. Because especially at a wake and a funeral, so many people are open to the gospel. Because they're thinking about their own death. And so, for those of you that know the Lord... Be, be, a, be a Jesus, be a Christ to those that don't know the Lord. Have a happy, holy, blessed New Year's. It's been 2,023 years since the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all I can say is, come, Lord Jesus, come. <clears throat> I'm going to lead you in a prayer to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Just pray after me, repeat after me. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Blood of Christ, inebriate me. Water from the side of Christ, wash me. Passion of Christ, strengthen me. Oh, good Jesus, hear me. Within your, within your wounds, hide me. Separated from you, let me never be. From the evil one, protect me. 
at the hour of my death call me and close to you keep me that with your saints and angels I may be praising you forever and ever amen take Lord and receive all my liberty my memory my understanding and my entire will all that I have possessed you have given all to me to you O Lord I return it all is yours <clears throat> all is yours Lord everything that we have is yours and repeat after me three times from your heart Jesus I trust in you Jesus I trust in you Jesus I trust in you repeat after me three times Jesus come live in my heart Jesus come live in my heart Jesus come live in my heart Holy Mary Mother of God pray for us now and at the hour of our death amen Maranatha come Lord Jesus come <clears throat> have a happy holy blessed octave of Christmas what's left of it we're right around the corner from January 1st 2023 2023 years from the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ again it's good to make New Year's resolutions. That's a good thing. But the most important thing is surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Live in a state of grace. Be holy. In fact, this New Year's, get to know your faith at a deeper level. Know your faith. And in turn, live your faith. Our Catholic faith is a public thing. It's not meant to be left behind when you leave your home. And number three, Spread your Catholic faith. Jesus wants us to bring the whole world into captivity to the truth, and the truth is Christ. That's a wrap, brothers and sisters. Wake up, America. Don't hit the snooze button. Jesus is coming back one day. Make sure before you die, you leave it all out on the field. God bless you. Keep the faith. See you next year, 2023.